Do you care about supporting small business? I do. Do you care about supporting women in business? Man, I really do. Do you care about excellent customer service? I think it's a dying art and I really, really support it. That's why I support Paco Collars. They hit all of these bases and then some. My dogs wear gorgeous handcrafted leather collars from them and I get to support a company that I really believe in. So if you believe in the same stuff I do, get over to pacocollars.com, order the best dog collar you've ever had with a lifetime guarantee, and don't forget to enter the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of the Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, I know a lot of you guys live in multiple dog households, and you know that I do. I have seven dogs. Um, I have two dogs, and then my partner has five dogs. So our household is packed. Um, There are a lot of energies to deal with, a lot of um, different personalities. So I'm going to give you my tips today. I certainly don't maintain perfection in my house, but I do maintain peace and mostly sanity for the humans. And I've got... You know, I've got a few tricks up my sleeve. I've, I've learned a few things along the way. So I'm going to tell you about my dogs first, just so that we are all on the same page. Um, I'm going to go oldest to youngest. So oldest is Brink, 13-year-old male Border Collie. Next is Iggy. She's 10, year, 10 years old, female Border Collie. Then we've got Stig, 7-year-old Border Collie. Ghost, 6-year-old Australian Shepherd, female. Um... Felix, four-year-old male border collie. Watson, 18-month-old male border collie. And Finnick, who is a six-month-old male border collie. So that's what we're dealing with. You may notice we've only got two girls and the rest are boys. In my experience in multi-dog households, um, I have an easier time with males in general because even if there is conflict my experience um, is that the males kind of get over it faster and don't maintain it forever and that was true when I was doing in-home pet behavior as well Um, when I would get called in on intra-household aggression cases the worst cases that I saw were between two females and there is some statistical data on that as well I will try to find a link to the study and include it over on the Facebook page, but there's been some data taken on this and the most unlikely case to be resolved in intra-household dog aggression cases um, is that of fighting between actually two spayed females. So interesting um, and has certainly been my experience as well. So we do try to keep the number of girls kind of low. Um, and that's why there are two girls and five boys. So the first thing that I think is important that not everybody does is that we want to recognize high risk scenarios. 
And when I say risk, I am talking about fighting. So a lot of what I'm talking about is prevention of aggression between the dogs. So everybody kind of knows that, you know, if everyone's chewing on a raw piece of meat, that that's a high risk scenario. But passing through a threshold all at the same time is kind of the same thing as everybody running for the same raw bone at once. So my kind of high risk scenarios that I keep my eyes open um, during are anytime a human comes home, anytime the dogs kind of reunite after an absence, um, and then of course anytime a hot resource is involved. So food, toys, and thresholds, um, and then under the food category I would put Kongs and Chewies and Bones in there too. And then any times that are sort of, for lack of a better term, high arousal. So um, when I'm preparing the dog's food, they're all kind of worked up about that. When everybody's going to get to go outside. Anything that has to do with our rituals that the dogs are excited about. So there are some rituals um, that are just kind of worked into their day. Like they all get to run outside on our... Um, fenced property every morning, that's a really high excitement ritual. Kong time is a really high excitement ritual, and then dinner time is another one. So during those times, I make use of the things that I'm going to tell you about, and those are the things that keep those times peaceful. And if you can't keep those times peaceful, that's when you're going to employ your management tools. So management for me would include crates, um, gates or X-pens, and then a basket muzzle if necessary. So my friend Casey likes to say fence the face, not the dog. <laughs> um, I like to go for crates and gates first in my household. I don't like dogs to have to live in a basket muzzle. But if I have a dog that's particularly problematic during a particular time, I may put a basket muzzle on them while I work through that issue. That's never a lifelong solution for me in my house but it can be a temporary solution. I look at crates and gates that way too. I don't like to live in a divided house with a lot of gates happening, um, but I certainly put gates up. And when I say gates for me, we have a pretty open floor plan, so it's usually X-pens. But um, in our past house, which was not so open, we had uh, baby gates across kind of the two main thresholds inside the home. Uh, for management. And so I like to get rid of those things as fast as I can and I don't like to overuse crates either, but it's really important to use them when you need them to prevent conflict from happening because the more frequently the conflict occurs, if you think of it as the dogs are getting better at conflict, that's a good way to think about it. We don't want them to practice it because they get better at it when they do. So I use crates for feeding times and Kong times. Um, and I use gates anytime I anticipate not being able to kind of verbally control everybody. How do I verbally control them? Well, I've got some training tasks. I teach them a release by name um, very early on and I continue to work on it and reinforce it throughout their lives. Why by name? Why not just one cue? Because if it's all on one cue, they're all going to bust out the door, etc. on the same cue, and that's completely against the point. Um, so I use names whenever I'm in a group 
for release. And I, I just say their name in a different way than I normally do. And that's the same for my recall as well. So I'm just going to use Finnick as an example. Um, if I'm releasing him, I say Finnick. Yeah, he just looked at me. Um, and if I'm calling him, I say Finnick like that. Um, sorry, that was so loud. But that is what's, that's what's important to keep in mind is that tone actually matters to them probably more than anything else. Um, but we can teach them to release by their name. We can teach them to recall by name. And those are my two big, big ones that I work very, very hard on. Stationing is another one. I want to be able to point at a dog bed and I've got a bunch of them throughout my house. I also have a couple of climbs. Um, I want to be able to point at a thing and have the dog hop on it and stay there um, at least for a little while. So I work hard on stationing as well. Uh, going into a kennel on cue. So dog's name then kennel, really, really important. And if I say, let's say I say Felix kennel and he runs into a kennel, but Stig runs into the crate that's right next to it, I'll give them both food. I'm not as uh, I don't discriminate as much on the names on that one, but it's important for them to be able to run to either a station or a kennel on cue because that's what I'm going to call a redirection strategy, which I'm going to talk about in a second. And then just as far as training goes, watch what you reinforce. If a dog is scratching at the front of the crate and you let them out, or the dog is pounding on the door and then you open the door, that's what you're reinforcing. And that might not be that big of a deal when you have one dog or maybe even two dogs. But once you start to talk about three, four, seven, now you're really in trouble. Um, if you've got seven dogs pounding on the same door, when dog number one lands and lands on top of dog number two and a conflict breaks out, now, now you're in trouble. So we need kind of overall calm behaviors um, at doors, at crates during mealtime, that sort of thing. And then heading off conflict has to do with recognizing conflict. So staring at each other, maybe giving each other a side eye or a crusty, maybe even growling, hopefully it doesn't get there. You have to redirect before a conflict breaks out and that's where those behaviors come in. Because if your stationing or your kennel behavior are strong enough, and that means that they've been strongly reinforced um, for enough time, then you can use those things to redirect dogs out of conflict. So like I mentioned, stationing and kenneling on cue as well as recalls can be a redirection strategy or an interruption strategy. You're going to use those things when you need to head off conflict in your household. And then never underestimate the power of training alternatives. If you have a consistent problem, so one of my dogs a while ago had a consistent problem of growling and snapping at the other dogs when everybody came inside from outside. So when everybody was coming in, um, you know, he'd be first at the door, he would sit, he'd release by name, he'd be perfect, but then once he was inside, he'd growl and snap at the other dogs that were coming inside. And we really can't have that um, continuing. And so we need to quickly replace it with a different behavior. And so I said, well, there are crates right in the area that they come inside to from the outside. So I just started asking him to go straight to his crate as soon as he came inside. And 
he'd come in, he'd go straight to his crate, I'd throw him a handful of kibble um, once I had let everybody else in. And that is such a strong behavior now that he always goes straight to his kennel when he comes inside. He doesn't, um, he doesn't not do it and he doesn't need me to tell him. And what that tells me is that the crate behavior is meeting that same need that the growling and snapping behavior was meeting. So we've got the same C, the same consequence working here for a different B and the same A, the antecedent. So if we kind of do a little uh, behavior analysis refresher here, all behaviors are surrounded by the antecedent and then the consequence. So the antecedent is the scenario in which it occurs. So here, that would be when I let all the dogs inside from outside. The behavior is whatever it is that we're talking about. Previously, it was growling and snapping at the other dogs, and now it's running into a kennel. And then the C is the consequence that's maintaining that behavior. Now, if I had, I would have to guess as to which consequence was maintaining the growling and snapping behavior, but it was almost guaranteed, like with all aggression behaviors, to have been just distance from the other dogs. I think he just doesn't care for the chaos and crowding that occurs. And so he would growl and snap to kind of maintain his bubble from the other dogs. And so I think that's the consequence that he was after. And so for a short time, I would feed him for going in the crate and I still do kind of intermittently, but I believe that the consequence is still present that he gets to have that bubble because nobody else goes in that crate with him. So that's why it's such a strong replacement behavior because it meets the same need that the initial behavior had met. And I don't take it, I don't take for granted that the behavior might fade if I stop feeding it altogether. So I continue to feed it, um, which doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me to feed behaviors for life. I'm, I'm a trainer at heart and a trainer every day of my life. And I, throw food at behaviors that I like as a rule. And so I still throw food at him when he goes in the kennel, but he just does it instantly and it doesn't matter who let him in. My other family members that are visiting or my partner might not necessarily feed him or tell him to go in the kennel, but he still goes in there every time we're letting the group inside. So that was a really effective alternative, alternative behavior for him. So a couple of plugs here. I'm not teaching a multi-dog household class. Um, although I could, if you're interested in it, you should talk to me about that. And, but what I am gonna teach in the December term for Fenzie Dog Sports Academy, and that might feel to you like it's a little ways out, but um, for me, it's the last class I'm teaching for the year, so it's important to start talking about it. I am teaching my course Fix It. And if you're interested in that, um, the way that I solved the problem with, with the dog that was uh, snarling at the, and snapping at the other dogs coming in, if you're interested in that antecedent behavior consequence thing that I was talking about and you're interested in training a replacement behavior for maybe some of your household behaviors, Fix It is the course for you because that's what it's all about. And then of course, um, my courses for the October term are gonna be the whole picture as well as worked up. And I'll talk more about um, the whole picture of course as we go, but that's the four steps to behavioral wellness all in a six week course. So it's all about those four steps that I'm constantly talking about. Um, and that's again for the October term at Fenzie Dog Sports Academy. So 
share your multi-dog household stories. I really want to hear them over on the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page, and until next time, happy training!